So we are uh, in our second week of our, our new series, uh, going through the parables of Jesus. And today we're going to look at a parable uh, that is known as the parable of the wheat and the weeds. So we're going to jump right in. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 13, or you can follow along on the screen. Uh, Begin with verse 24. It says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, um, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, uh, do you want us to go and pull them up? Uh, No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, as we consider just what Jesus is trying to say here, we need to just be reminded of the context in which he is is sharing this parable, which is the same setting as the parable that we looked at last week, that Jesus would tell this one soon after the one we looked at last week. Now, this is still relatively early in Jesus' ministry, but people have already begun to flock to him. Crowds have formed and gathered. Word had spread that Jesus was doing some amazing things, things that were crazy, insane. He was healing people. He was performing miracles, casting out demons. He was saying some things and doing some things that were perhaps a bit controversial, and he was causing quite the stir and and buzz. So people were were coming to to check Jesus out. Uh, Some of them were intrigued. Uh, Some were were critical and doubtful, uh, but everyone was curious. Some were were desperate. Everybody wanted to see what Jesus would say next, what he would uh, do next. Some of them had specific expectations that they wanted him to meet. Some of them had some specific needs that they wanted him to address. But everyone had hopes and dreams, and they were curious how this Jesus would fit into all of that. Some of them had nothing to lose. Some of them had a lot to lose. Some of them just wanted to be a part of whatever Jesus was building, and and others were perhaps worried that Jesus was a threat to whatever they were building. And it's in this context that Jesus tells this parable, shares this story. He says, the kingdom of heaven, my kingdom, the kingdom that I've ushered in and I am bringing into human history, the kingdom that I'm building, He says, it's like a a man who one day goes out in his field and sows seeds of of wheat. And after going to sleep, and when the servants are asleep, and the watch guards are asleep, one day an enemy comes, and he sows weeds amongst the wheat. Well, initially, as the wheat and the weeds begin to grow, you, you can't tell the difference, because these kinds of weeds look eerily similar to the wheat, especially in the early stages. But once the wheat begins to sprout and produce grain, then the weeds also become apparent. It becomes noticeable. 
So one day the servants, they notice this and they go to the owner and they say, excuse me, sir, but um, didn't you use like high quality, grade A, premium, FDA approved like wheat seeds? Uh, because there's a whole lot of weeds out on your field and to be quite honest, it looks kind of terrible and we're worried that this might hurt your reputation as a farmer. So we're thinking that maybe it's a good idea for us to go and pull out the weeds and to get rid of them. But the owner says, no, leave them be. Because I don't want you to hurt any of the wheat when you're in the process of pulling out the weeds. But one day, the time of harvest, the harvesters will come. And then they will gather the weeds. They will bundle them together and set them aside to be burned. And then they will gather all the wheat and bring it into my barn. Now, it's hard to know exactly what was going through the minds of the listeners as they're hearing Jesus share this story. Now, being in an agrarian society where farming was a big part of their livelihood and with bread being a big staple of their diet, I think most of them would have assumed that the wheat represented something good, something valuable. But the, the weeds uh, represented something bad. It was a nuisance. It would oftentimes get in the way of what you were trying to grow. Its, it's roots would often wrap itself around the roots uh, of your crop. And in fact, it was actually illegal under Roman law to go and plant weeds in someone's garden as an act of vengeance. Right, like when we were kids, we toilet papered someone's house. You know, some people threw eggs, like I heard about that, but I never done it. <laughs> but I guess back then, if you wanted to get someone, you went and you planted weeds, you know, in their field, and it was illegal. Right, so they would have understood that the weeds represented something, something bad. And with uh, Jesus just having shared a parable just a few minutes before this, comparing people to soils, I think most would have understood that Jesus here wasn't just talking about farming, but he was talking about people. Right? In fact, the notion, the idea of a harvest was often a metaphor used back then to symbolize a time of judgment. So most would have probably understood that Jesus was talking about a time where the good would be separated from the bad. And there were some, most notably probably the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who probably would have thought to themselves, like, Jesus, teacher, you're preaching to the choir. Like, we know there's a judgment. We know good will be separated from the bad, and praise Yahweh, we're good. Right? We have the law. We study the law. We memorize the law. We recite the law. We practice the law. We enforce the law. In fact, we're the ones who decide whether other people are actually obeying the law or not. So we're good. Perhaps there were others, like tax collectors, like prostitutes, who were kind of the most obvious sinners in society. Maybe there were some amongst them who thought to themselves, like, we know we're the weeds. Everybody thinks we're the weeds. They see us as weeds. And to be quite honest, there's actually some perks and some benefits of being a weed, and we're okay with it. Maybe there were others who thought, like, why do you have to talk about judgment? It sounds so judgmental. Not for us. And maybe there were others who, who thought, 
We know there's a judgment. We know what the religious leaders have taught us, but, but I'm interested and I'm curious of what Jesus has to say about this. And then in terms of just thinking about what Jesus was trying to say about his kingdom, right, this idea of the kingdom of heaven being ushered into history. Maybe there were some who just thought like, I don't need another kingdom. Like my life is pretty good the way it is. I'm comfortable. I'm content. Like I don't, I don't need another king. Maybe there are others who are kind of disturbed by his description of this kind of kingdom. Like what kind of kingdom would... What kind of king would allow both the wheat and the weeds to grow and prosper? What kind of kingdom would tolerate both the good and the bad? I'm not sure if this is a kingdom worth joining, a king worth trusting or serving. And then maybe there were others who just thought, I'm not sure how this works, I don't quite understand but I want to find out more. I want to hear more of what this Jesus has to say. You know, whenever uh, Brian and I go mountain biking, every once in a while, you know, on a special day, we'll take out a day and we'll go up to Big Bear and ride Snow Summit, kind of a bike park up there, and get to take the lift up and ride down all day long. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the trails up there is that I think at the, the beginning of each trail, they have what's called a squirrel catcher. A squirrel catcher. And what it actually is, it's, it's, a, it's the beginning portion of the trail, which gives you a preview of what the rest of the trail is like. So they'll have some features in the very beginning that you can ride through so that you can then decide for yourself whether you want to continue on or whether you just want to turn around and go pick another trail. Right? The point of the squirrel catcher is to weed out people who will enjoy the rest of the trail and people who won't enjoy it. People who will do well, people who don't do well, people who would want to ride the trail, people who don't want to ride the trail. It's kind of similar to, to remember college, they would have certain courses for majors that were known as like the weeder course. Right? So you pick a major, you take the course, and it kind of weeds out the people who should stay in the major, who would want to do that major, and actually those who, who really wouldn't want to do that major. And you see, in many ways, Jesus' parables are a way of separating the people who genuinely want to know what he has to say, who are interested in what he has to teach, what he has to offer, and those that don't. Right? He would tell a story that highlights a certain aspect of his kingdom, with the obvious implication that there was more to that story. And thus people would then, then respond, either by choosing to stick around, continue to follow, continue to listen, continue to hear, or people would just go their separate ways. Say, this isn't for me. They would leave, return back home, resume their old way of life. You see, what's interesting, what's fascinating, Right, he's in Jesus' parable, he says that the wheat and the weeds, initially, they look the same. You can't tell the difference. But once the wheat begins to produce grain, then the weeds also become noticeable and apparent. And you see, how people responded to this parable begins to highlight the difference between the wheat and the weeds. 
Right? The wheat are the ones who continue to stick around, continue to follow, continue to listen to what he has to say, ask questions whenever they get the chance, to separate those who are genuinely interested and those who weren't. Right? Jesus would, would often end his parables by saying, whoever has ears, let them hear. Right? It's an interesting statement because most people have ears. But what is he saying? Right? If you really want to listen, then you have to lean in. You have to be intentional. You have to draw nearer and to really seek out and understand. Try to understand what I am saying. And that is exactly what Jesus' disciples do here, his closest followers. As soon as they get a chance, they ask him, Jesus, can you explain to us the parable of the wheat? Moving down to verse 36, looks what it says. It says, then he left the crowd, referring to Jesus, and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Verse 37, he answered, uh, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is, at the, is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Right? So Jesus says the one who sowed the seed, the owner, it represents the Son of Man. It's Jesus himself. The field is the whole world. Throughout history, the good seeds represent the people who belong to Jesus. It says the enemy who sowed the weeds, it represents the devil. And the weeds are the people who belong to him, those who serve him. The harvest represents the end of the age, a time of judgment, and the harvesters are the angels. Now, now, what is Jesus trying to, to say? What is he trying to communicate to, to his disciples, to his followers who, who are listening and hearing this explanation? And the first thing we see is what he's telling them is that his kingdom here on earth, this kingdom that they are about to be a part of, he's saying it may not always be obvious and evident in this world. That even though that there are people who belong to him, even though he is working in them and through them and at work on their behalf, there's also an enemy who is at work trying to undermine and sabotage everything that, that God is doing. And there are people who belong to him, people who serve him. And thus there may be times where you just look at the world and you just ask, why? Like, why is there so much evil and wickedness in the world today? Why is there so much hardship? Why is there so much pain and suffering? 
Why, why does all this bad stuff happen to good people, and why do good things happen to, to bad people? Like, why doesn't God do more? Why doesn't he help? Why doesn't he intervene? Maybe there are times when you will even begin to wonder, like, is this even worth it? Like, what are the, the practical benefits? Like, pragmatically, like, what difference does it make whether I give Jesus 100% or whether I just give him 80 or like 51%? You know, like, what practical difference does it make? Because you look around at the world and it doesn't always seem like his, his kingdom makes that much of a difference. Right? And maybe that's true for, for some of us today. We just look at the world, right? You just spend some time watching the news, skimming through articles, and, and you're reminded just how much evil and wickedness is in the world today. How much pain and suffering. Right? Maybe you yourself go through, through challenge after challenge after challenge. Hardship after hardship after hardship. You see loved ones suffering with sickness and disease. You, you lose people, family members and friends. You're hurt, wounded, rejected. Maybe you experience persecution, suffering. And then you, you see people who want nothing to do with God, reject God, pursue all other gods. And their life seems to be perfect, happy, content, fulfilled. And maybe there's just times where you wonder, Why? God, why do you allow all these things to happen? Why aren't you doing more? Is this worth it? And you see, this was a big source of frustration for a lot of the crowds that would follow Jesus or that would at least come in and check him out. See, a lot of the frustration with his, his critics was over the fact that he wasn't doing more. Right, that sure, he was doing some amazing things. He was healing people, casting out demons, performing miracles. But he's going from like town to town, village to village, doing it amongst the, the nobodies of society. All the while, you know, Rome is still in charge. Israel still has no kingdom, no, no place to call home. There's still sickness and disease, war, famine, pain, and suffering. And they're just like, if you are who you say you are, why aren't you doing more? And Jesus says, my kingdom may not always be obvious and evident in the world today. That there is a time in human history where God allows the devil to work in this world. But, and here's the second point, but what he tells his disciples is that the kingdom may not always be evident now, but one day, one day it will be. One day his kingdom will be blatantly obvious and evident for everyone to see. Why? How? Jesus says because one day he will separate all those who belong to him and all those that don't. And he says, those that do not belong to him, he says, one day 
They will be gathered together and they will be sent to what Jesus describes as the blazing furnace. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth which communicates a kind of suffering and a kind of agony and a kind of frustration that is beyond our comprehension. And this is the, the biblical concept of hell. Old Testament, the, the, the word is loosely based on the word Sheol. In the New Testament, it's Gehenna. In the first century audience, they would have had a loose understanding of Sheol, of, of this idea of hell. It was a place they believed that the unrighteous would go after dying. A place where people were separated from the presence of God, a place of hopelessness, a place of destruction. Now obviously Jesus doesn't explain everything about hell here in this parable. He would go on to say a lot more in future teachings. The biblical writers would, would expand on this topic. And there is a lot of debate, even to this day, of what hell is actually like. I don't think any of us will ever fully know in this lifetime. But the one thing Jesus makes clear is that one day he will separate people who belong to him and people who don't. And after those that don't belong to him are sent to this place called hell, it says then... In verse 43, then the righteous, those who belong to him, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. In other words, in that day, his kingdom will be blatantly clear. It will be evident and obvious to everyone. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, as you consider Jesus explaining this to his disciples, I think it's important that we ask the question, like, what is he asking of them? Like, what does he want them to, 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 to have, to experience, to, to feel in this moment as he's giving them this description of what's to come? Two things. First thing we see is Jesus wants them to, to come to him with, with humility and with sincerity. Right, to be humble before him in terms of, of who he is and to be sincere in their relationship with him. Right, because there's so much that Jesus hasn't explained yet in his ministry. Right, like who determines who's a wheat and who are weeds? How does someone become a wheat? How does someone become weeds? Can a weed ever become a wheat? And why can't the owner just pull out some weeds now? When it comes to his kingdom, right? He hasn't explained, like, how do you sign up for this kingdom? Is there a limited capacity? Is there a wait list? Do you have to make reservations? Do you have to renew your membership? Can your membership ever get revoked? Right? He doesn't explain any of these things. And thus, what he's inviting the disciples to do is to simply be humble and sincere before him coming before him with a, a willingness and an eagerness, even a desperation to want to learn, to want to understand, to want to receive whatever he's teaching, whatever he is 
offering. It's why he would say in Matthew 5.3, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? And this was difficult for a lot of people back then and perhaps even today. Right? So many people had their expectations of what a Messiah should be like. A lot of them had personal conviction in terms of, of who was a wheat and, and who were weeds. Who deserved heaven? Who deserved hell? Who deserved blessing? Who deserved punishment? And thus the question for them was, in the end, would they ultimately give Jesus the final say? Would they allow Jesus to be the one to ultimately dictate and determine what was true? What was reality? What was helpful? Did they give Jesus the final say over every aspect of their life in terms of how they lived? The choices they made, the decisions they made. And you see, I think one thing the first century follower had that I think was easier than we have it today, and I don't say easy, but easier, was I think it was easier for them to know whether they were following Jesus or not. This past week, Brian and I went for a bike ride out in Laguna, and um, on our second descent, after about 30 seconds into the ride, I I took a little spill, and um, don't worry, Mom and Dad, I was just the boo-boo, and and I'm I'm okay now, but um, I fell on my hand, and it hurt pretty bad at the time, and the first thought that went through my mind was like, am I going to be able to finish this sermon? So I sat up, and I went... Okay, whew, I could do that. But it took me some time to just get my bearings, to kind of be able to to figure out whether I could make it down or whether I had to climb up. But one thing I had to to figure out was how I was going to let Brandon know. Because whenever we go riding, Brandon always goes and takes the lead and, and I follow. Right, And it's easy to just follow because whichever way he goes, I go. Right, Brandon, is, is he's just good at knowing like, which lines to take, which is the safest route, so, so I just follow, and usually we make our way down, and as soon as he gets to the bottom, he turns around, and you know, I'm not too far behind him. But I knew, though, that as soon as he gets to the bottom of that hill, he's going to turn around. You know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, that might be normal because I'm slower. You know, but about the minute mark, he's going to know something happened. Because it's obvious if I'm following or if something happened where I'm no longer following. It's a long story short. I tried shooting him a text. Didn't really get through. So I made my way down to let him know so he wouldn't have to walk all the way up to see whether I was passed out somewhere uh, along the trail. But easy for him to know whether I'm following or whether I'm not. You see, in the first century, it was easy to know whether you were following Jesus or whether you stopped following. Because you either just literally followed or you didn't follow. You walked when he walked. You stopped when he stopped. You listened when he taught. You tried to obey whatever he taught. You see, for us today, it's a bit more challenging. 
to know whether we are following Jesus or whether we're not. It's one thing to know a lot about Jesus and to actually follow him. It's one thing to admire him, respect him, even throw shout-outs his direction to praise him, sing about him, sing to him. And another thing, to, to be intimately in relationship with him. And thus, I think it's important that, that every once in a while we, we pause and we ask ourselves, am I following Jesus? Do I come before him with a sense of humility and sincerity in terms of what he's teaching and what he's saying? Do I want to understand? Do I want to, to obey and listen? Do I give him the final say, the final word, in not only what I believe, but in how I, I live? And you see, for every listener 2,000 years ago, for every listener here today, at any moment, we can turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you take lead. You take point. You be the leader and the king of my life. And this is the kind of humility and sincerity he wanted amongst his followers. And then lastly, as we wrap our time up, Jesus wanted them to, to have hope and assurance. You see, Jesus doesn't explain this parable. He's not telling this parable so that, so that people would feel condemned. Right? This is not his attempt to try to scare people and threaten people into heaven. It's not his version of a fire and brimstone message. You know, that's going to come later in like Matthew 23, and that's against the religious people. Because we have to remember all those people who, who doubted Jesus, all those people who disbelieved and rejected him, like they're not here to hear this explanation. This is for those who have committed to following him. This is for those who, who want to listen, who are humble and sincere. And thus, the goal is not to scare people. The goal is to, to give them hope, to give them encouragement. Because we know that for, for Jesus, we, we know he, how this story plays out. Right? For all those people who doubted him, for all those people who rejected him, for all those people who wanted nothing to do for him, right? like he's not trying to condemn them. Like he's about to go to the cross for everyone and anyone. Right? He's going to rise from the dead. He's going to send out his Holy Spirit. He's going to commission the church. He's going to proclaim the gospel. He's going to give every single person an opportunity to be saved, and he's going to leave that invitation open for at least 2,000-some years. His purpose here is to, to give his followers hope and encouragement of what's to come. Because these people who are humble and sincere, these people who want to follow him, their lives are about to get exponentially better, but also exponentially harder from this point forward. From this point forward, they're going to have a bullseye on their back for the enemy. They're going to face a lifetime of rejection, a lifetime of persecution, a lifetime of suffering. Their lives are going to be hard. Ministry is going to be hard. Following Jesus is going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of times where it's going to seem like the enemy is winning. But Jesus is telling them, he's assuring them. But one day, one day, 
It will all be worth it. One day, we're going to experience his kingdom in all its splendor and in all its, its glory and wonder. One day, we're going to we'll all be together with him, unimpeded by sin and temptation and brokenness and evil and suffering. And eternity, eternity with, 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 with love, goodness, righteousness, perfection. Right, one day, every single follower of Jesus is going to be fully convinced that every challenge, every hardship, all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of our sacrifices is going to be nothing in comparison to the glory we will experience. And Jesus says, because of this, you can be, be hopeful. You can be confident. You can rejoice. And as we close our, our time here this morning, I want to just invite us to just think about what Jesus is promising. You know, I think that sometimes, and not all times, I think sometimes, and maybe for some of us, I know for me, like, it's hard to just think about heaven and dwell upon heaven and meditate on heaven and talk about heaven and rejoice about heaven because it's hard to think about heaven without also thinking about hell. And I think sometimes we don't want to talk about hell, we don't want to think about hell, so then we prevent ourselves from, from thinking about heaven. And while I completely understand that the difficulties of talking about the concept of hell, we cannot allow that to prevent us from thinking about heaven, thinking about what Jesus is promising and assuring. The fact that he's telling this parable is his invitation for us to, to not only think about it, to not only dwell upon it, but to rejoice to give thanks, and to give praise. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying his kingdom here on earth may not always be obvious, may not always be evident, but one day it will be. And thus we are invited to come before him with humility and sincerity and also with hope and assurance. Will you pray with me?